Django? Weird. Roman genuinely doesn't like to have his bosom touched. Really? Yeah. Well, Roman, I'm sorry for all the times I've probably touched your bosom. I don't think you ever have. Alright. I've done it's it enough for everybody. <laughs> I have a photo of me doing it. What? Acceptable podcast, episode 145, where every week these lovely friends and lovers gather together after having read many, many a comic book in the comic shop that they love. In uh, they, they get together, they hold hands, we hold hands, we get into the giant glass papsculator, and we ride up the pap tower to the pap cave, which is now a bit of a pent pap, pent pap house. And uh, we, we engage in a podcast where we share camaraderie and opinions and, and love for the comic books that we all have in common. We do so looking through the giant glass windows in the penthouse pap tower and, uh, <laughs> and look down at the city below us and feel a sort of sense of, for sure, superiority because we're so high up but also um, a, a general sense of oneness with everything that is around us, either related to or unrelated to the comic books, the shop, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff. That one got a little long in the tooth. I'm Roman, and I just wanted to add, I love that scene when, when the, the Pat Median gets thrown out of the Pat penthouse in the sky. and yeah. So... I'm... Oh, right. Who are you? Yeah, who are you? I'm Jeff... <laughs> Django, I saw you this morning, and you said that you were definitely giving out some wolf tickets today. Now, I've seen you all day, and I, I told you, if you hadn't given those tickets out by the I time didn't we recorded have this a chance. I was going to pull those wolfies out of you on this podcast. Oh, you'll get them all right. I believe so. I've seen Django in a lot of emotional states that are all mostly just the one. Um, <laughs> I've never seen him so in the camp of wolf ticket as he was today. Yeah, was, Do you want to talk about it? I... I First thing I did today was drop two tills on the floor. I've always... 100% my fault. Always nothing, nightmared about that. Nothing could have been done. And uh, luckily, I was early to work. So instead of spending a half hour doing whatever... I, I don't even remember what I was planning to do when I got in early today, but I definitely didn't. <laughs> I counted change and picked up change off the floor for a half hour. Shit the bed and dropped exactly the till. Um... Passed out a wolf ticket. Hey... Today, yeah, can we? Yeah, can we talk about something? Please, can we talk about Batman Superman number one? Please, and uh, Spider Man Life Story number six? Yeah, can we talk about Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man number 11? Jeez, yeah, uh, that's a uh, how about Marvel 1000? I'll do a Marvel 1000 okay. minute, yeah, yeah, Ice Cream Man number uh, I don't know, like 14. Yeah, I like that, okay, one. uh, Marvel. Monsters. Monsters. Is it Marvel Monsters or is it just Monsters? I think it's just Monsters. Okay. Number one? Yeah. Um, I heard a rumor that there is a CMYK joke in Dial H for Hero number six. Go so ahead. I'd like to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking maybe 
House of House of Ten, House of X, House yeah. of Three, yeah, House of Powers of Three of X, Shlee, Um And I think that we should not talk about Action Comics number one thousand fourteen because it has Naomi in it, and I just. If Roman starts talking shit on Naomi and Bendis tonight, I'm going to I'm going to lose it. I'm going to give him a wolf ticket and I don't think that uh, I don't think he's ready. Here's a moment. I'd like to frame a wolf ticket actually. Wolf hmm. ticket. Marvel Comics 1000, which is not what we're going to start by talking about, but it is um, a lot of pages, 80 creators were involved and it just made me realize that Bendis was not one of them because he doesn't mm-hmm. work there anymore and that's a little bit sad because I wow. can't think of like in the last 15 years, a writer yeah. that is more Marvel than Bendis. Seems a little sad to me. It, yeah. I noticed that, too, because the Jessica Jones page, it wasn't Bendis. Yeah. I thought he was going to say it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? Because Roman doesn't like Bendis. He fucking hates him. I hate I Bendis. He no, lo- don't. Oh, he hates him. Listen, hate him. ladies and gentlemen, go back a couple of episodes and, <laughs> and listen to Roman talk about his uh, Naomi comic. Yeah, the the final issue of Naomi that he gives a two, and then I just called him out for it, and then felt guilty about it for like three days. <laughs> I should have called him out. Everyone has the right to an opinion. What's my fucking problem? Batman Superman number one by Joshua Williams and David Marquez, and not Bendis, not Bendis <laughs> at all. In fact, and then the uh, colorist is Alejandro Sanchez. This book was so gorgeous. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it looked really good. The gory parts were super gory. Yeah, it was very bloody. Um, and I I liked it a whole lot more than I expected to. Right. Um, the, the twist at the end. Oh, we're going to have spoilers. 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 Sponsored by uh, people who have the birthday of uh, August 29th. Not me. Not you, but uh, Hurricane Katrina. And a lot of people. Yeah. Jay. Michael Jackson. Congratulations, everybody. Wow. So... This issue starts with a weird sequence of Batman talking to Superman, and Superman flies to, like, a space station, and there's a whole bunch of horrible murder had happened, and then there's Kryptonian, and it gets in him, and he starts dying. And then it goes to Earth-Zero now. Do we know who that was or where that was? I was distracted because it had Superman not with red trunks, which means it was New 52 Superman? This was uh, Dark Metal Universe Superman. So this is where... The Batman Who Laughs came from, okay. is how I read it. Okay. Um, I, it is? I thought it was... Just these first couple pages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before he gets to the Justice League satellite. Yeah. Or, and oh. the whole Justice League satellite was that universe, right? So this isn't our current Superman? No, he doesn't have red trunks on. And then also, it, he died. Oh. And he died. And then it goes <laughs> Earth Zero now. But we just didn't get an initial time for... That's, I, I was just asking because I was confused by it, and I, I didn't know. I, I read it as, this is how... Batman Who Laughs defeated Superman on his world. Oh, okay. Uh, with the Kryptonian dust in the air. And I thought that was awesome. But man, page six and seven, that double page spread of Dave Marquez, like just a glory shot of Superman and Batman with an, like a really interesting angle as well. Like Hout. It's, it's a hout, but it's all, I don't know, there's, I really like the coloring of this. Um, I, I think since Rebirth and Patrick Gleason, like we've been drawing Superman in a deeper blue and like a more saturated red than mm-hmm. he was for a long time. And I really like Dave Marquez's art. He's an artist who has worked with Bendis a lot. That was who I you know first saw him working with. And, and when Bendis came over to DC, he also came over. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of his first big DC book, but he's just killing it. I think for me, the big story of this issue was how beautiful the art was. 
Yeah, and Josh Williamson doing a good job, and and uh, Billy Batson showing up at the end. Yeah, Roman, what did you think about this book? I <clears throat> I also liked it more than I thought I would. Yeah, the art's beautiful. At first, I was a little like, oh yeah, the usual kind of Batman Superman banter that with Batman pointing out their differences and how different they are in Superman. I'm going, come on, let's be buds. We are buds. But I ended up liking it a lot more than that. And I especially was surprised because I don't care about the Batman who laughs. But in this, I thought he was he was kind of interesting. The whole infection virus thing is interesting. Um, and yeah, the final reveal with Billy Batson, that was really cool. So am I wrong in remembering that at some point, either Billy or Shazam got hurt and they they switched over? To let the other one heal? Or am I thinking of another superhero that changes bodies like that? Is that Miracle Man? Has that ha- I mean, M- Miracle Man has that happen, but I Maybe don't know so. if that's the story that you're thinking Maybe about. so. I do love getting a scene of a Batcave, and I liked the visual representation of the Batman who laughs Batcave. It's very familiar and a little bit wrong. Yeah, like it's clearly yeah. a Batcave, but it's just a fucked up version. I... I don't know. I, guys, I'm just kind of conflicted about the Batman who laughs. I don't... I am too. I don't love it. I don't love his costume. And uh, I really don't like um, kind of worldwide infection stories. And that's basically all we've really gotten from him. Yeah. Yeah, Metal was After, rather different. But he wasn't yeah. even the big villain of it. But And this isn't... like. To be talking about the quality of this book is a separate thing. I think that this is a very quality book. But a thing that has been on my mind is like we had Dark... I, I think part of my issue with The Batman Who Laughs is that we had Dark Knight's Metal and it ended up being way more successful than they anticipated. And yeah. they added all these one-shots and mm-hmm. and they went all these additional printings. And it seems to me that they were like, we got to keep the, the sort of popularity of this character in this event alive, so let's make The Batman Who Laughs comic series, which they did. And they put that out. And then it was like, man, we had a lot of people reading that. I don't know. We need to do something else with him. So Extended then they, an issue. Yeah. Make another comic. Did. And then they've just now they've made another series where he's the villain. And I don't think that that's bad because you could almost say the same thing about Donny Cates when you take a step through the creaky, creaky iron that is the Cates gate <laughs> at the center of the mind's eye. But uh, he, you know, it was sort of like he had that Thanos run, and then like Cosmic Ghost Rider, and then he gave him the main series. And there's an amount of like finding out what's working and then keep doing it. I don't have a problem with that, but this one feels a little bit more transparent to me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like begging DC for mercy, like just back off for a second. Yeah, Give it a let, year. Let him come back. Let this guy breathe. Yeah. You don't, you don't even have the Joker in as many comics as this asshole right. is in. And I would <laughs> love to see the Joker in a comic every week. I do really like his design. I know that it is a lot like judge death and and but no, I, i'm not, into it it's not a lot like it it's exactly like oh okay it. <laughs> i love judge death's design as well <laughs> not taking it away from him if it's 12 issues versus the batman who laughs i'm gonna probably fall off on it um but if it's if it's 12 issues of just batman and superman having adventures i'm probably gonna read them all i think that it was kind of pitched as it's the big mystery of them trying to solve who these infected people are mm. I know right. that there's like at least three infected. This is sort of introductory to this whole concept. It's not like reinventingly anything massive. Like David Marquez can put out a monthly book and his <clears> art is gorgeous. So if he stays on this book, that will really increase my desire to read it. I yep. did enjoy it uh, quite a bit. I'm not super into the Batman who laughs, but you know, the, 
I don't have not a lot of really complex thoughts on this one. I do love this sort of nightmarish world of where the Batman Who Laughs was from and that horrible plastic man up like just distorted and all the dead Justice League members in the in the space station. Spoilers for the end of the Batman Who Laughs series, but in issue seven we learn it's been a while now, so I'm sorry, spoilers everybody, but avoid Read your it. ship faster. Um but we learned that Commissioner Gordon was is infected. Yeah, which says to me that by the end they're going to find a cure. Yeah, because we can't lose Gordon, although we did, spoilers, lose Alfred last week. so yeah. I, Okay, I was wondering about that because I didn't read that series, but the last time we see Gordon in this, he does a little giggle. Got this Dark Crystal Age of Resistance ad on the back of it. looks pretty good. Never seen the Dark Crystal. This right. makes me kind of want to see it. Now we've been relegated to talking about the ads on the back of the comic. Oh, gosh. That, I love But you're right. It comics. does look awesome. Uh, this week, you're going to get a lot of ad talk from Jeff. This was, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I really enjoyed some books this week, but I uh, didn't get to read a ton of them so far, and, and none of them knocked me back. Who's your first love, Jeff? Kelsey Gauthier. Mm, not Kira, the Gelfling? I would give it a 7.5. The, and mostly built on the art. The story is totally fine, but nothing special. But the art, I think, is is really beautiful. Dave Marquez has been one of my favorite artists for quite a while. 7.5 also. And I just noticed that there's a Superman symbol in the Batarang, the poison Batarang, that Shazam is about to smash into soups at the end. Gelfling. Gelfling. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna ride to on, ride on your 7.5 train. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a perfect... Estimation. You are one precious, comic. precious Gelfling, Roman. I wish I knew what the Gelfling sounded like. I would make a Gelfling noise. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Burgess Meredith as the penguin. <laughs> I'm having a really hard time with Roman as a Gelfling, Jeff. <laughs> I just you told can't... you my entire sexual awakening was based around the Dark Crystal. and uh... Was it really? <sighs> Hi, Django. A lot of it for you? <sighs> Hi, Django. Oh, Roman. <laughs> oh, I love your wings. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of my first erections was watching Batman get uh, dressed in the live-action movies. Uh, putting his costume on. There are a lot of live-action movies this could have been. Well, no, there couldn't have been because it was like Adam 94. Oh. I mean, it was I, definitely that's... like the Tim Burton Batman. Okay, the first yeah. first two. But there's a lot of rubber and a lot of body and a lot of being, yeah. you know, bound and bondage. Dude, and... I got some Christmas ideas for you. Man, we are going <laughs> to talk about comics, but probably more other stuff today. So everybody, sex, don't let this be your first The comings issue. and goings of our lives. Wolf sex tickets. Yeah, episode 145, wolf sex tickets. Tell us about your awakening. It was the Gelflings. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm now. I mean, I said it out loud. I'm trying to think of like, when was my awakening? What does that even mean? Uh, like, when did I learn that I could could? It, oh yeah. All right. So, it, uh, oh, full uh, oh. full disclosure. It was not a sexual awakening. I just thought Kira was really Gelf, Gelflicious. Kira, Kira, Kira the Gelfling. I was like, oh, she's really pretty. And then she has wings. And I was like, I have always wanted to fly, and I would. Like to fly around with her. So did you really have a crush on her? I mean, how old were you? I knew she was a puppet. Uh, I don't know when. Whenever it came out, however old I was, I saw it in the theater. Um, I'm just glad it wasn't Fizzgig because that would have been weird. Fozzie Wig. Fizzgig. 
Spider-Man Life Story number six. No segues tonight. Just a bunch of uh, crickets when Django says a thing. <laughs> By Chip Zdarsky, Mark Bagley, Drew Hennessy, Frank Darmata. This is the end of the Spider-Man Life Story is series that we have basically talked about every issue of. Yeah. We've really liked. Um, it's been emotionally up and down. It's been like Mark Bagley on, like, on his C game. Yeah, Mark Bag. Well, I think the beginning it's, of it was a little bit better Bagley than I'd seen in quite a while. I feel like an asshole because it's not his fault. He's drawing like he draws, he, and it's it, not bad. It just didn't. It wasn't appropriate. I for had me. a person in this week that was like they were really liking Bagley on this series. Yeah, they were glad to see him back. Yeah, I I, I think I think he did a good job on the art. I just thought it was. Uh, uh, God, we got to cut this out. We, we have beat this guy up on every episode that we've talked about this issue, and we've talked about every issue of it. I don't it. think we've beaten him up too much. He did some of the most important comic booking that's ever been done. He kept Marvel alive. We know that. Um, his art's a little bit dated nowadays. Yeah, it's this, okay. This on the New Warriors. New Warriors New kept Warriors. Marvel alive? Well, if you're when Roman. they were big, when they were big, he was <laughs> the artist. Ball. Yeah, he was the artist on them. Um, what did you guys think of the end of this series? Like, going into it, it, there's been a lot of darkness in this series. Like, there, you know, just you know, sort of, man, thought, it's a bummer to be was, Spider-Man. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a really... I haven't read it. I don't know. Oh, fuck. Roman, I keep <laughs> looking at you like you're worth anything at no, all. No, it's still my to-read pile. Fuck okay. Roman. Well, you, <laughs> Hello, it keeps Gelfling. coming back to fucking Roman with you. <laughs> so what did you think about the end of it? I thought it was pretty good, actually. I, uh, I don't quite have enough of a Spider-Man vocabulary to understand parts of it and in the beginning when they were setting up what they were going to do i was like man this is convoluted like if i if i don't know what's going on here you know we have to go to this doomsday machine and lab in the sky and dr doom's doing this thing and it just felt like really exposition heavy for no real reason other than i'm assuming to touch on a classic spider-man story that we've that we should know by now um, and I might be reading that totally wrong. I thought that their helmets were a little bit dumb. I think those costumes um, when they were in space were pretty dumb. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I see why. I had a long sit and think about it. I love that about you, um, Gongi. Because they were, they were, they just wore them so that you could tell the difference between Peter Parker and, uh, and Miles. Listen, I know that you don't want to keep tearing down Peter Bagley, but I, what I will say is Mark I don't Bagley. think. Yeah, Peter Get his Baggy. name right. Peter Baggy. You, you <laughs> sack of <skexy. laughs> It's Gelfling. I, I don't think he's the best at innovating costume design. Mm-mm. I don't think that he's super good at like giving a new costume to a thing. No, Pete's costume in this is kind of really goofy. Um, and I think Pete, Mark, Mark, Peter Bagley is one of the most important uh, comic artists in Marvel. And I'm joking, Mark Bagley. But um, so I guess I want to take advantage of talking about this series as a whole and the things that it did right and the things that I think it could do better on. I think that it's really impressive how well Chip Zdarsky kind of took elements of so many different stories and squished them together. The yeah. way that he got the Clone Saga in there or the Moreland stuff from Straczynski's rung, uh, Craven's Last Hunt, the Venom stuff. Even in this one, the way that they were able to bring in Dan Slott's Superior Spider-Man run to be such yep. a big part of it and incorporate that into Miles. Like, it is it is really well done in that regard. You got the clones. You got, yeah, you got it all. Yeah. Um, I love seeing a character age through time. I think that it leaned a little heavy on, like, Peter 
it was kind of a downer a lot, but I think that that I think he intended to do that. I think that for some yeah. reason that was his intention to do it. I would love to see this treatment given to other Marvel characters. I would like it to be like three issues per time period. Like every one of these issues I wanted more explored. I think a different artist for each time period would yep. be a really good call. Yeah, I th- I thought it was I thought it was really a pretty good ending and a really good series and I'm glad I read it. Not a perfect execution to me by a long shot, but I don't think the first time a thing is done, uh, you would expect it to be perfect. And I think that this is hopefully paving the way uh, for other books and other heroes to have this done. And I hopefully uh, they'll refine the idea a little bit more as it goes on. I would give this issue a seven, and I would give the series as a whole an eight. I was going to give it the same. Yeah. Just one gaff and one third left. Still gonna. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to match you, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. A whatever you said and a whatever you said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 11 by Tom Taylor and Juan Cabal on art and Rochelle Rosenberg doing the colors. Dude. Who else read this? I did. Roman? Not me. Okay, cool. God damn it, (laughs) Roman. He's a big spider guy and yet. They're both in my to-read pile. And yet. He... Yeah, he's a big spider guy who hates spiders. I I'm hate sure spiders. every time he looks at a Spider-Man comic, he's conflicted. I am. Yeah. I hate that back symbol of his. Really? The back bothers – actually, no. Some artists draw like a really realistic spider shape on his chest. And uh-huh. some of them – I forget which artist. There's one particular. I'm kind of like, ew. I don't want mm. to read this. So would you, you s- – fucking coward. Yeah. No, know. I'm just kidding. I love you. <laughs> I do wish you put a shirt on, though. <laughs> That taco That's asking meat, too much. That taco meat in your chest hair is bothering Absolutely. me. I like to snack while I'm doing the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, but I get what you're saying about Gelflings. Yeah, like if I don't have to, if 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 I can't talk about a comic, I can just sit here and eat taco meat <laughs> in my chest hair. <laughs> I don't really get it. <laughs> I don't really. Well, get look it. at him. I don't get it either. But he's doing it. Friendly neighborhood Pass Spider-Man. The <laughs> Friendly Neighborhood <laughs> Spider-Man, boys. I think you mean the Friendly Neighborhood Mary Jane. Yeah, this issue was all a Mary Jane issue. It was bookended, started and ended with uh, Peter Parker just beat up and tired after a thing. And it's uh, the whole thing is sort of framed as Friendly Neighborhood Mary Jane. I, uh, I was very confused on page two that they put this sort of comic book cover treatment to an image of her laying down, but like the way that they did it, um, I don't know. They illustrated where the cover would be, and then they just made these flat colors behind. I, there's a very weird effect going on in image or on page number two. I liked it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, everyone, we're uploading these podcasts to YouTube. So, so you all know, if you've been listening to this on podcast, that's great. Thanks for doing that. If you are somebody who is at a computer or you would rather listen to it on YouTube, we're also putting images of the covers on there and some of the panels that we're talking about. So feel free to go check out uh, the YouTube channel. Django, what's the YouTube channel? Comics Place. But there's an Italian guy, I think, who has a big, a kind of a big podcast called Comics Place. I think he's Italian. Um, and so if you just search comics place, you'll see a guy who doesn't shave as often as, uh, 
like a, a professional who works at a bank or something. And that's would. why you say he's Italian? Uh, no, it's it's all the, uh, the the characters, like the way that the words are spelled on it's his podcast. very weird that when we hired people, Django said, like, people will always ask how business casual, business formal is. And Django says, I don't know, just shave like you would if you worked at a bank. Yeah, that's like <laughs> a pretty low bar, I think. Like... Anyway, search Perfectly Acceptable Podcast and you'll find it. You know, like us, subscribe, comment. What else? Do, what? Like us, subscribe, comment. Uh, we don't know much about podcasting on the internet that is YouTube. I feel so. pretty underqualified to be even like looking at comments on do you, you read the comments on youtube right you do and hey that's okay because this is us learning how to do it and you don't learn how to do a thing until you feel courageous enough to do it ignorantly first kind of like uh spider-man life story you know you can't expect the first time you do a thing to be perfect but the next step's going to be easier than the first jeff we've moved beyond that oh, okay sorry um it's kind of it's kind of like friendly neighborhood, neighborhood mary jane spider-man or mary jane number 11 mary spider-man jane so this is really just a following Mary Jane around issue. And I really liked that because we haven't, like Mary Jane's such an active part of the Spider-Man mythos, but she isn't, there's not a lot of depth to her character in a lot of the Spider-Man stories I've read. Does that feel fair to your guys' assessment of Mary Jane? You've read more than I have, Roman, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely periods when she's, been a fleshed out character and there's been a lot more to her yeah um not she's lately but i really like this one because it's about her like peter has all this responsibility to the city and to everybody and everything and and she keeps saying her he is her responsibility so like he's got all this great responsibility and her great responsibility is is making sure that he's you know okay and uh then she goes out and beats a troll in the subway in and and like manages uh kind of a scary panicked situation very gracefully saves a whole bunch of people and then uh teams up with miles to beat a troll who's left over from war of the realms yeah and then uh she goes back and wakes peter up and and they just have like a couple of really sweet moments hanging out um on the rooftop and they're they're back and forth in this book i thought was really it felt really genuine and i i really enjoyed the way that their conversations mirrored each other when they went like he brings her bagels and the conversation that they have is is very similar to when she brings him pizza at the end yeah they have a, a you know almost the same same dialogue but you can tell that mary jane's saying her parts the second time instead of Pete. Tom Taylor is really good at writing Hartfield's scenes. He is writing Deceased yeah. and a variety of other things. He wrote some War of the Realms stuff that Roman really liked. I guess my thing about this was that I thought it portrayed Mary Jane in a really positive way, and I liked her getting sort of the bulk of this issue. But the final line of dialogue, I had no problem with. But this was the final line of the dialogue. Uh, is inner monologue of hers in, in talking about Peter. She says, he still puts other people's needs ahead of his own. It's just who he is. Spider-Man is Peter Parker, and Peter Parker is my responsibility. And I guess the thought that made me have was just like, is that okay? Like, it felt a little bit almost like sort of saying, like, and my spot's in the kitchen. Like, and I... It had a little bit of a sort of dated, like, the, the woman's job is to take care of the man, and the man is out there doing the work, and... 
I don't think that's what they're trying to say at all, but I just I didn't know if that execution of it felt like a little bit of a step backwards. Mm. Like, is that okay? Is it? Are people going to be upset about that? Fuck them if they are. But I just I could I could hear um, a response of people who want to be annoyed at something. Yeah, saying that that isn't a progressive way to be portraying. Her. I think if you look at the rest of the issue, though, that's that's not it. Like. She's a total badass through that whole thing right. on the train. And she is fearless and graceful under pressure and rescues a whole bunch of people. And all while she's out running a kind errand for May. Right. And Yeah, that bit. What she goes on an errand with May and it's it's to help May find wigs because she's yeah. in chemo and losing her hair and the way that she that was my favorite part of the whole issue was just yeah. this like the way that she brought levity to this situation of looking for wigs and sort of brought the like her love of fashion and like she's like what wig am i gonna get she's like one wig let's get fucking six wigs yeah um and, and you know that <laughs> wig was out yeah exactly and I, and I really liked that but yeah I, I, I agree it just it seemed like a, the kind of thing that um i just 2019, I don't know. I, I can I hear a lot of outrage with everything, justifiably in a lot of situations. So I just didn't know like what I, your read yeah. on that was. I hope there's not a whole lot of outrage about this because I don't it, think there I, has. I, been. I don't think it's deserved. Yeah, and I I really think that I, it fit the character that was written in this story as a kind person who has a lot of responsibility that is often overlooked. Um, yeah. and not, not in like a looking down on her way, just in a, yeah, Mary Jane's kind of a badass and, uh, bet you didn't know that. I'm the Mary Jane to Django's Peter Parker. I don't, I'm not comfortable with this at all. Can you okay. be, uh, the Gelfling to my Skeksy? Oh, I'm not comfortable with this at all. <laughs> um, what would you give this issue then, Django? I'd give this issue a nine and a half. Wow. I give the cover a 10. I give the issue, um, an 8.5. It was it was the it was their relationship that got me. Like by the end I was like, fuck, this is she's just so kind. Yeah. In this whole thing and and obviously super into Peter. Just a really good kind of badass Mary Jane. Something shitty happens and she kind of takes takes control of it and uses her skill set to you know, make everything have a, a positive outcome. Speaking of positive outcomes, Jango, you and I were pretty nervous about Marvel Comics 1000, written and drawn by everyone. And yeah, I thought they'd put out more than a thousand comics by now, but I guess I guess I'm wrong. Uh, but Roman <laughs> has a dog-eared, noted, uh, tabbed-out copy of this giant pre- prestige format book. It's a thousand pages, right? It's a thousand, thousand pages. pages, and it's a thousand dollars. No, it's a thousand pennies. Yeah. It is a give or take pennies. a penny. It's got a yeah. whole new um, grading point where it's 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 a thousand just across the board. What was this book, man? I read it's it's ten. Marvel's 80th birthday, basically. Okay. So they've got I don't know if they have 80 creators in here, but they have a ton of creators. Uh, basically, one there's one overarching storyline, but each page is different creators and. Some are just individual stories or individual themes using a character, but they're also Al Ewing wrote a bunch of connecting pages that gives a through line, a through line, bleh, a through line through the issue, but also from like the first Marvel comic up until 2020. So he's setting up this storyline. 
And is the through line that there's this sort of the, the through line black is, hooded starry figure? Yeah, the through line is that the Eternity Mask, which was first used God, I love this, was first used on this character called the Masked Raider, who was like maybe in Marvel Mystery Comics number one. I didn't look it up. But one of their original characters had this mask. It turns out this mask has some mystical qualities to it and some really obscure Marvel characters from the Golden Age, the three exes, meet up with this detective from then. They like three ex-husbands? They're just the three exes because they're supposed to be unknown. Um, and those guys, Ewing said, became the Science Guild, then later became the Enclave, which are the guys that it did the experiments that created him, that then became Adam Warlock. And they've done all this trying to retain control of this mask that is now dubbed the Eternity Mask. I don't know if it was called that before, but hmm. that's what I love about this. Ewing, I assume Ewing took all these disparate pieces of Marvel history, you know, some obscure Marvel history, and is connecting them all. And then it said in 2020, at the end of this, they're going to reveal who the Master Raider is nowadays because there's been like two or three Master Raiders over the years. And is it somebody who's wearing the mask? Yeah, yeah. The last, so we just haven't seen them. Yeah, in, the last page the of this sets up, um, yeah, who it is now. In 2020, the face under the mask is revealed. It was basically the Black Hood. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. And then there's a okay. in memoriam page for all these creators. And then there's another page, which is really awesome. This is in the future with these guys again, the three original three X's, and going into the Korvac, who's the guy from the future that killed all the Avengers. Do you think it's Dr. Manhattan? Korvac was basically Dr. Manhattan before Dr. Manhattan, yeah. But it's a lot of fun, and if you're not – somebody may read this and go, I don't know what the heck's going on with all this stuff, but this is intriguing. And I want to find out about this. Do they have Love any care or any uh, creators in here that are a surprise? You get a cable written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. Okay. Oh yeah, that that was a surprise. <clears throat> yeah. Miracle um, Man. We had known he was going to be in here, but that's that's pretty cool. That's like yeah. the first like the, real putting him in the Marvel universe. Is it, is it by Neil Gaiman? Neil Gaiman. Yeah. yeah. Mark okay. There's a Paul Hornschmier page that surprised me, based on Little Nemo. So just yeah. using Black or Black Bolt. <laughs> yeah. And that was fun. One of my favorite pages, speaking of Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane, there's a page in here because of her that Jerry Conway, who's the writer that, that was writing Spider-Man and who's the one that killed off Gwen Stacy, mm. he writes a beautiful page in here, just Mary Jane talking to you don't know who, but she's just talking about how she felt about Gwen mm -hmm. and the fact that when they first met Gwen whispered in Mary Jane's ear, we're going to be best friends. And she meant it. And Mary Jane especially then had this image of my protection, my wall was beyond being the party girl and everything and nothing serious and all that. Gwen, you know, she knew there, she saw there was, she believed there was more to me and she made an effort to be my friend and everything. And she talks about Gwen's death and all that and, and how Mary Jane, she like stayed up with Peter all night after, after Gwen's death and everything. And everybody's like, Oh, you were so, you know, so kind doing that for Peter. And Mary Jane says, you know, I didn't do it for Peter. I did it for Gwen to like honor the fact that she had faith in me. That's, and, that's and, really cool. Yeah. And yeah, so there were some pages that, yeah, I didn't care about. It was the main story. Oh, this thing, they're building up the like kind of a new version of the three X's with Black Marvel, Night Thrasher, and uh, Jimmy Woo. That's such a bad name. The three X's? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I want to make sure that you, that your three X boyfriend thing. I, I don't want to acknowledge <laughs> that when you said it, but that wasn't a dumb thing. You're, you're very funny. 
Oh, thanks. I love <laughs> you. I, just, you thanks. I, I, was li- I was listening to what he was saying at the time, and I want to make okay. sure that you don't okay. feel... Ins- I want you to feel yeah. confident about expressing your jokes. Um, it's, better, it's better in your head if you think of X as, as in, like, an unknown. Not X, not E-X-E. What about, like... <laughs> unknown ex-husbands? Pionio. X, the letter X. Pionionio. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Well, I'm really glad that you dug it. I, wa- I was trying to be optimistic about it, and I just... I couldn't get into the execution of it, um, but I'm really the glad execution? that you loved it. Oh, that's very good. The XX execution. My ex-husbands. Real... Oh, fuck. I oh, guess man. I don't get it. Yeah, how the fuck taste? They just so good. I really like the... Uh... Full disclosure, I've only read a couple of pages while I was listening to Roman talk. Um, but the we're calling him Ben Page by Brad Metzler. It's Spidey saves that somebody. and gorgeous, oh. Julian Tino Tedesco. And the lady who he saves is like, I, I, I want to, thanks for saving me. I want to name my, my child after you. What's your name? And he thinks for a second, he's like, Ben. My name's Ben. And then it shows like a montage of all these people naming their kid Ben because he's saved them. I thought that was a really nice hmm. way to kind of honor his his uncle who died in Crime Alley. Yeah. For my grandfather, ben, ben. For Stan Lee, and for Theo and Jonas. What do you give this? I'll give this a ten. You fucking oh yeah. You fucking clown. Oh yeah. I'm not even. A... And there's people here. I'm like, is that Namor? Who's that? Oh my god. And I love that kind of mystery because. You're a clown. Did you see this beautiful Iron Man page, Django? Look at the way. Uh, that's that's uh, that's like a 16-panel grid. Yeah. Give me nine or give me death. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Deadpool page in here where he makes Deadpool makes fun of the nine-panel gr- grid in a nine-panel yeah. grid. Oh, a, knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. knew it. Yeah. Ice Cream Man number 14 by Maxwell W. Maxwell Prince and Martin Morazzo. Did you read this one, Roman? Yeah. I did, and actually, <laughs> look here on the cover. I don't. There's a little DC call out right there. That, I don't that's get it. that's Space Ranger and his his girlfriend from Strange Adventures. What is your What is happening in there with you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't what know is, how they're on there. Where but. do you? How do you get this stuff? How do you do it? I recognize Space Ranger's costume. It's a yellow costume with it's a black and white image. Well, I know, but he has a yellow costume. That's his helmet. So the last volume issue of this was about palindromes. <laughs> a lot of really abrupt sea changes in this episode. We're all tired. It's been a long day. Django, uh, Django verbally abused a lot of people today. I told him. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I told him. I remember. I, it's the weather, man. The weather, man. Are you sure it's not the It was the weather, man. man. Wait, I didn't read weather, man. the weather, man. Oh, I like that. Sidui. <laughs> So that's how they say it in Italy. This would be top five or six. Definitely, I would say top five Ice Cream Man issues for me, I think. Oh, yeah. I think that this issue uh, shows that this series has kind of constantly been pushing what you can do with comics. Like, it, it is a progressive step in the comics medium. And this issue is about a guy who's obsessed with crossword puzzles and at times becomes a crossword puzzle. And the, the entire issue, there are these black and white square panels put into every page that mimic a crossword puzzle. So every page feels like a crossword puzzle. The dialogue is uh, written as questions for crosswords. Yeah. Uh, and the story feels a little bit like uh, She Could Fly to Me. Where like the the 
wife is imagining all the horrible things that these workers she's hired are doing. And it's clear for part of the issue that they're not, and she's a little bit nutty. And then for the other part of the issue, it's clear that they are, and she was right. When were they right? Just as they were driving off, they were being evil? Yeah, at the, at the very end, they're actually being evil. And I think before he shows up at the end, I think that they are actually banging on, on her bedroom door hmm. um, and, and getting ready to come in. And, and then it swaps out to him. I really like that. I didn't interpret it that way, but I love a book where people can have different uh, you know, interpretations of what's going on it. it this book is has constantly done that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's super well done. I, I like this one more than the palindrome one. Yeah, I do too. I yeah, the I palindrome one was not as clever as I had hoped it was going to be. And even though I just said uh nine panel grids all the way, this one is based on a sixteen? Which five fifteen. Five four twenty panel grid. It's all squares. I think it's no. five Five by three. Uh, oh, maybe. Oh, yeah. You're better at counts than David. <laughs> well, man, you coded the count app that we use, so you don't have yeah. to actually count. I love, like, you know, I kept feeling like there were going to be giant boxes with words written in it, and then you get closer to the end of the issue, and that starts happening, and, like, images are fully represented. Like, my girlfriend is really into crosswords. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just really liked... When you do a lot of crosswords, your brain gets good at thinking like a crossword. Like the way that those words and questions are worded, like it's a type of thinking. And I just like that he was having this inner monologue that was basically a question and answer in the form Mm -hmm. of a crossword puzzle. Super interesting way of doing this. Well, and he's, yeah, he's kind of dealing with... uh, problems in his head by doing crossword puzzles like he doesn't have a great home life with his wife and um so i think that he's using crossword puzzles as a way to kind of work through that and it's similar i I can't remember who i was talking to the other day but they they were going through something i was like yeah if i was in your shoes i would need to sit down and build with legos for about three Mm -hmm. days because that's that's how i kind of work through a big, heavy question in my head. Mm -hmm. And this issue did what many of these issues in this series have done, which is like embody my biggest fear in life, which is to be trapped in a life that makes me happy that I'm stuck in, that doesn't make me happy that I'm stuck in. And there's this inescapable misery to it and these people Mm -hmm. that are sort of stuck together and they're just living this with regret and holding things in and trying to find stupid small reasons to have hope in life and like that's my biggest fear and this book as a series kind of consistently comes back to that another great one this this book is a gem it is one of very few books that has slowly gained more and more subscribers Mm -hmm. and it's not breaking the bank with the number of subscribers that it does have but i really like when we're ordering comic books um i will oftentimes order a couple extra copies of books that i really really like that i will worry are maybe on the verge of being canceled 
I like to order a couple extra to sort of send a message to the publisher that this is a book we want made. And uh, that can go either way, but this one has sort of slowly been consuming those shelf copies and, and slowly has needed to go up in orders. That's a really cool thing. Outer Darkness is one like that. Uh, and this one is interesting in that you can just kind of jump in. There hasn't been a direct continuation on any single issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's menace that's been building since the first issue, and there is absolutely a larger story going on, but I don't think there's a single issue you could pick up that wouldn't be self-contained and make you want to either go forwards or backwards. What do you, what would you give it, Roman and Django? Um, I, I also give this one a 10, actually. Wow. Get that fish stick off of me. And did you see in the crossword cover? It even has the issue number up there on the side of the pen. That's very clever. fourteen. And Braden pointed out that the clues are like the creator's names. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the unfilled boxes. Oh. Uh, we, uh... I give yeah. it a nine. I, I would give it a nine, 9.5. Like, really high up there. Really effective. Now, Roman, something that I definitely anticipate getting a 10 is Monsters, number one, by Cullen Bunn himself, Scott Hepburn, and Israel Silva. You're the only... I ordered this book specifically for you. <laughs> really? And Cullen Bunn wrote Monsters Unleashed, and by the end of it, I think we had one subscriber. But you love monster books, so I ordered five of them. I do, though I didn't read Monsters Unleashed. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to have to disappoint you because I'm not going to give it a 10. Yeah! <laughs> I ordered five of these for you. I'll give you at least a five. Um, yeah. Th- this was fun. The main thing was, you know, it starts off Kid Kaiju, the the protagonist, the that hero. That was created from, in Monsters Unleashed. Uh, Monsters you Unleashed. Read. You know, Kid Kaiju. Yeah. Yeah, created for that. Um, he's a kid, has powers. He can draw any monster existing or that he makes up, and it'll come to life. And I think he can control them. That um, is a bummer of a power. Yeah, yeah. I would just draw a lot of boobs. <laughs> but boob not, monster. Yeah, if you draw a boob monster. Do they have to be monsters? Can they be Gelfling? Well, I guess if you draw oh. draw a boob mo- Gelfling monster, yeah, that would come to life. No, but you, you can't. Have you can't put dogs are being used in Dial H. <laughs> but yeah, basically, he's somewhere. He's exploring this thing with one of his monster buddies, and he finds this anatomy of monsters grimoire, grimoire. How do you say that? And then we get into the cool stuff, which is the drawings. Like the first one is James Stokoe, Fing Fang Foom. Um, and then it's wow. got and then it's got anat- anatomical breakdowns of the monsters drawn by these different artists. That's pretty cool. It shows like their you know their bile radioactive sacs and that kind of stuff. And it's just all classic monsters from Marvel's you know late fifties, early sixties. The Jack Kirby. Wow, guess most what? Of the things. art in this is gorgeous. It is. There's one of the man thing. I. And somewhere on tiny print it says who the artist is of each of these. Man. I don't think. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and that's the cool thing. There's man, oh, Mangog, wow. so it's, it's as guardian monsters. So this isn't even a monsters. story. This is just a bunch no. of monsters. No, there's a, there's a framing. There's a is couple it? page bookends on each end that oh, wow. give you a story, but it's this, this is the book that Kid Kaiju is looking at. Is it Savage Dragon? I was very nervous that it's this man, was... It's Manphibian. Oh, from, the, from the Legion of Monsters from Marvel Premier in the 70s. Unsuccessful monster book from Marvel, but this actually is a very different thing, and it's yeah. awesome. It's yeah, it, all red and Stoko and Tedesco, uh-huh. and wow. Yeah, the art is very cool. I think that's. That Art Adams? Oh, that's, no, that's, um, that's the amazing thing. Art Adams, I thought, was the cover. He, that's not Art Adams. No, He's not in here. That This is um, that guy, Juan. Juan, Juan that does all the. Uh, 
scary books from Avatar. Yeah, he's got one in there. And at the end, you know, we go back to the kid kaiju and Elsa Bloodstone shows up and something about monsters and blah, blah, blah. But the main thing is these art pages. So this is not a series. This really is just... Um, I, I think it's. I don't think it's a series. I think it's setting up some other story to do in the future with those two characters. Yeah. But I think this is just a one shot. Wow. Okay. Well, and, this is and, way cooler than I thought. Yeah. And for the art alone, not the story, but all the art pages in here, I would. I would give it at least a nine and a half. Story wise, I'd like meh. There are ten full splash page pieces of art that show an amazing monster, and then for each of those, there's like an anatomical breakdown cross-section of each of those monsters. That's actually really cool. I, I love art. If you are at all interested in monsters or being willing to buy a book on the art alone, uh, this is one to do. Yeah, if you just want cool cool monster pages, this is your book. I, mean, I, think, I think Evan Berger and Ashton both appreciate this. Yeah. There was I, – I got when I was a kid – we lived in New Orleans still, I think, so I must have been less than seven. I remember being near the, I think it was the it was the courthouse or the jail or something, some like important federal building in the French Quarter, and I had just gotten a copy of a book about gnomes. It was like a big book of gnomes, and it had like cutaways of their tree homes, mm-hmm. and it had like a guy gnome and a girl gnome just kind of standing there, and it had like you know, little arrows Red telling you, yeah, like, here's the hat, and they keep bagels under their heads, and, like, you know, he's got a pocket knife, and she's got a bag of flour or whatever it was. Like, just a, a very detailed book, kind of like that uh, book of pressed fairies, yeah. you know? Yeah. And this this book really reminds me of that. Super cool. Yeah. It's it's crazy is how many of these are clearly Kirby creations. Yeah. When you look at the anatomy, (laughs) you're like, oh, Kirby, Kirby, (laughs) Kirby, like Kirby. Even Nick Bradshaw has to. Yeah, it's like the man thing is like the only one so far that isn't Kirby. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful book, Roman. I'm really glad that you showed me that. Uh, That's a good reason to want to check out the YouTube channel or pick up this book in the shop. Um, But we'll uh, show a couple of those images on there. Yeah, because this book's a visual delight. Speaking of visual delights, Ooh. did you guys read Dial H for Hero? No. Yes. Oh, buddy. You know what? This has a Dark Knight Returns reference in it. Django. It does. Oh, yeah, it does, yeah. I've never <laughs> known anyone who is so satisfied by seeing somebody else reference something that they know. It's not that I know, it's that I love. No, you love a reference about anything. You're like, no, You're I right. think that's a reference to this blah, 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 blah. You're like, no, it's not, but I'm not going to say that because you love a reference. <laughs> okay. You're right. You're right in that I love a reference. Yeah. Uh, in this one, it is all a reference. The yes. whole thing is a year one reference? No. No, oh. to different there's, references. There's like five panels of year one references. But, well, no. So, okay. So, <laughs> and Dial H is all references. Dial H yeah, is, yeah. And, and that's what I've liked about the issues that I've read of this series. But in this one, they, uh, they end up in Metropolis, and everybody has had the opportunity to dial and become a hero. Yeah. And so the place is just crawling with heroes, and they are... I mean, they're, they're, you, you recognize them all, and you've never seen any of them. So there's yes. like, this is obviously Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. This is Promethea. There's um, uh, 
Yeah, 90s image, there's, Sailor there's, Moon, who, Mike Allred. Who's this? This guy, this looks like a Winter Soldier, but with two metal arms, mm-hmm. right? And you've got a Frank Quietly character. Galactus. you got a Galactus character. There's Squirrel Girl. There's, there's the Hernandez like the shitty, ones there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Hernandez ones are awesome. And then, like, yeah, you, you just keep going, and it's... Oh. Yeah, the These, Darwin Cook Spirit comics overlaid the by the Hernandez oh, yeah. brothers. Yeah, that was great. And then and here's here's the the Frank Miller right. gag right there. There's yeah, dinosaurs and Cadillac, yeah, Cadillacs and point, dinosaurs. Yeah, and she's Dundee Rex is her name in this, but that's Hannah Dundee, the female yeah. lead of Cadillacs machine. and dinosaurs. So we just said a bunch of things that you can't see, and we can't <laughs> show them all on the YouTube video, no. but we'll show some for sure. Yeah. Um, what is this still an ongoing after this? Did this end the mini, or is this still going? I think it's an ongoing. It's okay. well, it's got to still be ongoing yeah. because at the end they did another amazing thing, where they uh, they show you that there's not just the hero phone which has been blue, right? Or no, red. red yeah. Well, it's um, magenta. It's magenta. There's also a cyan, a yellow, and a black phone, which. I don't know if you know anything about uh, the way my brain works, but I like CMYK a lot. When he said there's something at the end you got to see, I immediately knew it was a CMYK <laughs> reference. So you didn't say anything. I just knew there was a CMYK <laughs> reference in there. I need to get comfortable wearing uh, like magenta or yellow because you wear a lot of cyan. I do. I like purple, teal, blue, gray, and black is most of my clothing. We get, we get you some teal. We get me some magenta. John. John. Justin will wear yellow. Girl, Colette wears black. There's, There's a different dude. It's a different dude. dude. Uh, I, I like this issue a lot. I don't really care about the larger story. Mm-hmm. I just look at the pretty pictures in this series. And, and, and it's all fun references. Like every issue, and I didn't yeah. read this one, but they're all fun because it's referencing a thing that you know about. Yeah, and it, like this, it doesn't seem like a comic that's written for a 42-year-old or a 36-year-old like Roman. No. Uh, <laughs> but they are absolutely just kind of tickling yeah. tickling my funny bone here. Splash page is you know, Astro City. And I love when... One uh, our our male lead Miguel, he finally is able, summons up the courage to dial H, and it's just wonderful who he becomes and the way he looks, and it's based on Alex Ross's art, and it's it just it's great, totally works. Yeah, yeah. And then some other heroes show up to help him because because friendship and community. <laughs> super, yeah, super good comic. Little Mike Mignola skull going on in there. <laughs> Yeah, wow, that's really fun. And really I, cute. I don't know how many references there are, but I'll bet you could. I'll bet you could make a list of forty or fifty characters that uh, are are directly lifted for this. Macho Man Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. <laughs> this. Um, I think that this is a book that is really great for all ages. But I think that when it's all collected as a single thing, you can give this as a gift to like adults or teens or 20 or 30 somethings I think there's an appeal to uh, anybody that could read this there's a sort of a wholesome fun like I get that that yeah. if you like that if you're like Django uh, you you should everyone should check this out don't be like me be like Django he's good everyone loves him yeah be like me I'm yeah. good everyone loves me yeah <laughs> that's my guy I'm proud of you Django <laughs> so did you give me a score for it yeah give this a nine 
How many gills would you give it, Jijin? <laughs> uh, Kaiju Kid. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll also give it a nine. Maybe even a 9.3. Gelf. Gelf. Oh. Nine point Gelf, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no surprise, everybody. I want to talk for a second about House of X number three. I don't have a lot <sighs> to say about this one. Um, aside from it was amazing. I loved it. That didn't change at all. But this this and the previous issue were the first ones, I mean, like, were really, I think that he spent a good four issues setting up an incredibly intricate, complex chessboard. And now shit's popping off. And now shit's popping off, but it's a like, um, while it is popping off, it feels a little less explosive than the crazy concepts he was putting on the table. To me, like, those first three issues were, like, jaw-dropping. This is like, okay, we've established those things, now let's watch it move forward. Uh, I love it. I'm going to give it a 10 because I look forward to it. I loved every page of it. I didn't want it to end the whole time that I was reading it. But it really is very cool. It is setting up the X-Men going on a mission. This is our current timeline. It's the House of X timeline. Um, and it's really cool to see X-Men on a mission. Like We have a lot of X-Books and they've been coming out for a long time, but I don't feel like there's been a lot of like, everyone to the Blackbird and go blow up this Sentinel thing. Like, yeah, they're, they're really, I don't think there have been a lot of tactical yes. things. It's been more dramatic or sending people off to come right back, right? Yeah, and this is all, you know, still those same things, but you know, it's very dramatic. and But it is tactical and you get these people going to do a thing and I I really liked that. There is also, you know, great infographics uh, talking about, uh, you know, the Omega Sentinel gestation period in a, in a human being or, uh, you know, the illustrating what happened in the ninth timeline of Moira McTaggart and how it relates to this one. There's this great sort of ladder diagram of all these boxes uh, connecting with one, each other, uh, one another. Django, did you bail on this? No, I read it. Okay. I'm, I'm totally current on this series. And Roman, you read it also? I haven't read it. Okay. What did you, I mean, so I know that you're not like Jeff and Justin, like, this is my favorite comic that's come out in years. Yeah, Hickman's not my favorite, but right. I, I like him just fine. Um, I can hear the masturbation gesture. <laughs> but uh, what did you think about it? I liked this issue a whole lot. I've, the whole time I've liked uh, House a lot more than I've liked Powers. And this one was no exception. Uh, the Powers ones are important have been important because you need to know why they're doing all this stuff and you know the the action this is kind of like the michael bay side of things and uh powers of 10 has seemed more like i don't know, like the danny boyle side uh where you, you're getting some action but you're also getting some kind of strange introspection and, and a lot of setup um i really enjoyed the courtroom stuff with Sabretooth. yep and i loved the scene at the very end where spoilers the the suicide bomber guy blows his part of the ship up in order to fuck the x-men over on their on their mission um i I thought that was really really well done and the dialogue between him and his uh lady friend uh is really good yeah i almost and what I love so much about this series is I don't ever know what's coming at all. Yeah. So it just puts you in a state of guessing. And, and I think a good writer forces the reader to be writing their own story. And, and that's what this does so much. Like, 
So I'm like, okay, well, maybe all of those people on that plane are actually, like, maybe they succeed and those are all dead. And now Xavier needs to, like, reclone them from cocoa seeds or something, like, whatever's happening. Like, it feeds right back into the beginning of the story, feeds into the powers of 10 stuff that's happening. It, it, it is, you know, combining all of these things in a way that lets me use my imagination to the sort of extent of its ability. Do you think that uh, when this series is over, we're going to want to buy two copies of every issue and cut them up and reassemble them into a chronological story because I am not real clear on when everything is happening. Well, I think you're, you're supposed to be unclear about that. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm sure it's all going to become clear at some point, but I don't think that we even necessarily know whether um, the Blackbird exploded before or after or in a totally different timeline than the beginning of the first issue. Right. Well, so this would be later in the day that the first House of X took place. Okay. Because Cyclops went, uh, he tried to get Sabretooth back, he couldn't get Sabretooth back, he went back to Kakoa, he talked to Charles Xavier and Magneto, and they were saying that, like, yeah, we've gotten these blueprints from the Powers of Ten future, or actually from from Mystique, and it says that the Orcus organization and Nimrod goes online when this mother mold satellite that's circuiting, circling the sun begins operation. We need you to go and blow it up. So he's like, all right, I'm going to okay. go do that, and this is the team going to do that. There's so a really linear... House has been one... House has been Moira's... Ninth life for the most part. Tenth life. Tenth life yeah. for the most part. And if you look at the timeline at the end of House of X number two, um, the tenth life has a dot that says House of X. Okay. And, okay, and, good. And so there's still a lot of mystery with what happens in her sixth life and in her fifth life when she goes into the coma for a year. Something has to have happened there. But um, we have every reason to believe that this is the tenth life. That's what we're being told okay. it is. And House of X is all supposed to take place in one pivotal, pivotal. House of X is supposed to take place in one pivotal, pivotal day uh, in the X Men in, in an important time. Whereas Powers of Ten is, you know, four different. So this is my favorite run in comics that's come out uh, in the last really healthy amount of time. I, I love it indefinitely. This is my least favorite issue of the series so far. So it only gets a ten. So it only gets a power of 10. Um, <laughs> I loved every second of it, but, you know, like, it didn't have moments of, like, spinning my head, which other ones have had. I'll give it a seven and a half. Yeah. Um, liked it a lot. I felt that explosion in space, and I felt the emotions of, uh, and the reasoning behind why the dude made the explosion happen. Right. And there I, was a very emotive. Yeah, I, I really I enjoyed that. And and just the picture of, uh, I know it's not episode 144, gross, um, but the, the picture of Sabretooth spitting. Was awesome. Was, I don't think we have any, we don't have a letter to the editor or a phone call or an email or anything today, do we? No, I have a, an email we could do, but let's, let's not, we'll do it next time. Okay. Uh, I, have, I have a question for you guys. Please. If... Marvel, because I'm assuming that it would go this way, if Disney bought DC, okay, or Disney bought Warner Brothers, do you think that they would try to smash those universes together? Do you think they would do just do more crossovers? Hmm. Or do you think that they would say, okay, 
we got to put our A-listers from these, this universe and our, A, our A-listers from that universe together? That's a super interesting question. Um, I think that there would be a period of time kind of like how Fox, or sorry, Marvel Studios does now have the rights to use X-Men. Right. But they're not like, all right, our next movie is X-Men. Like they've said, like, we're doing this whole thing and they are going to come in at some point, but we're like, they're not dropping everything to make it happen. It's almost like they're walking around swinging big old dicks of money. Oh. And they don't need... X-Boyfriends? X-Money. X oh. Like, they don't need the X-Men money. Okay. Fox needs the X-Men money. Right. Right, because it's it's part of their business model. But if Marvel buys it from them, then, they, you know, that this is just another thing that they can get around to doing. There's Did no Marvel rush. buy... So, Sony took Spider-Man back. What's that? Is, is the X-Men different from that? Does, yeah. Okay, Sony Marvel's and just, Fox are separate. Okay, and Fox had... X-Men, Sony had Spider-Man. Still does. Sony never gave up their interest in Spider-Man. They shared it, though. They just shared it with Marvel. And But actually, Marvel Marvel Studios does now have X-Men. Yeah. Okay. But they do not have Spider-Man. Right. Um, I think it would be a really horrible move to try and combine them. And I think that they know that. And I think that you'd get creators writing separate things. And I think you'd get occasional crossovers. But I do think that they would try and keep those continuities separate for a very long time. But we would get your Marvel versus DCs every once in a while. Because, like, if you put Superman and Tony Stark in a room, you've just printed a million dollars to put in your pocket. Yeah. Right? And they could do it with TV shows. They could do it with movies. They Mm -hmm. could do it with what-ifs or Elseworlds or, you know, whatever they want to do. It just occurred to me that, that's a very real possibility at the rate that Disney is just like buy, I Warner Brothers shoving is, whatever yeah. they can inside of their um, Plug inside hole. of their group. Roman, what do you what would you think about that? How do you feel about that? And if you would rather, feel free to talk about Fantastic Four Yancey Street. <laughs> or Marvel Comics um, number one one thousand. Or that Howard the Duck page in it. Well, I feel I basically feel what every what you just said because i don't give it a whole lot of thought. validate my ego i totally agree with you 100 percent. god i'm good and i don't give it a whole lot of thought because i'm so confused by all the studio stuff including what's already happened mm-hmm. you know people mention it and i'm just like whatever if a good movie comes out of somewhere i don't know where it's coming from i just know it's a good movie mm-hmm. it's a lot like <laughs> his, his smells yeah if a good smell comes out of him <laughs> I don't yeah. care. It's just laying yeah. yeah it's just the yeah. lap of a yam. Don't know how that happened, but hey, appreciate it. <laughs> um, Roman, yes. can you show me the first couple pages of Fantastic Four Yancey Street really quickly? Because Brian Swalwell is one of my favorite interior artists. I can. And then R- Django's got to do a, a spot for us. Oh, a spot. It's very nice, flat, kind of, it's not, it's that thing Django like the, the, yeah, the Ed Piscor style. Flashback to Ben Grimm's childhood. His, his brother Daniel, who I don't think we hear enough about, who got killed because of gang activity. And, and Ben, when he was rich for a brief time, he started a Yancey Street Children's like mm-hmm. Services Community Center that's named for his brother. And that ben? plays heavily into the story. Daniel. Oh, Daniel. Daniel Grimm. Uh, that plays heavily into this story. It's, it's a nice story. I really like uh, the Smallwood art is... Yeah, and then it, when it switched to like modern place, times, it's, uh, it's kind of this... It's yeah, nods to Kirby and nods to, uh, oh, God, early said um, Jeff Sinnott? Something Sinnott when yeah, I was doing Jeff comics. Sinnott, yeah. um, what I really love, and it is exactly what Ed Piscor does, is 
these pages, they they are printed in a way to make them look yellowed. But this one goes yeah. so far as to make the corners even more attic burn. Well, you got some foxing. Yeah, and step and it up, his, Ed Piscor. And he might do that as well, but this is just it, Ed Pittsburgh, When he talks about it, he's talked about the the yellow combination that he has saved on his computer to use as the color to put on there. Like you know, the, hmm. you have to intentionally take a white page and find the right color that you want to put it on there to make it look that way, like an aged yeah. paper. And I think that is just a, a really amazing and dedicated. That, that thing. is so brilliant too. And until Django pointed out, I didn't even notice the little the Red. little pink pink bars up at the top. Because I'm, oh, did they do that too? Yeah, that's such a part of comics of my childhood. I didn't even consciously notice it here. That going, it didn't register as, hey, that doesn't happen in comics anymore because it's not newsprint. Like, like the cigarette burns on yeah. Uh, yeah. film. Yeah. Um, you know about film, Jeff? It was yeah, I've before seen digital movies. movies. I've seen movies. I've seen them. I know. I got the hairs. I've been there. I used to watch them melt at my hometown movie theater. <laughs> um, what do you give Fantastic Four Yancey Street? Um, I give Fantastic it Four a, for Yancey Street, Yancey Street. Uh, that's a weird cover choice. It is. I go to seven. It brought back some obscure old villains. It was a fun story. Not not fantastic, but it was it was fun. My guy. Another thing came out this week that I'm really excited for, and uh, I'm sorry to everybody that I keep shouting at. I just did another store. spot on Hickman's X Men books. Yeah, but like I feel like I keep recommending this to people, and they just they they kind of blow it off because it's harley quinn and i, I did that, also i yeah I, I, yeah mm. but also i don't think you've found the way to verbalize why it's touched you the way that it has and i that's yeah. the thing is when when i hear Django is excited about a harley quinn book i'm like why is Django trying to sell me this harley what quinn the? book but <laughs> i know that you genuinely love it and i don't yeah. i've just i haven't heard you refine your sales pitch on it yet so this is uh, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass by Mariko Tamaki and Steve Pugh. And it's just a, a really good kind of um, alternate take on a Harley Quinn coming-of-age story. So she's, she's like a 15, 13, 14-year-old kid who's run away from home and uh, ends up in – I think I think it's in Gotham. I don't remember. It's It's been a little while since I read the preview of it. But um, she ends up – Living with a bunch of drag queens who eventually have, you know, a threat to their lifestyle. And and it just has a bunch of really good role models in it. The art is fantastic. Steve Pugh took a year off of doing anything else to do just this comic. And uh, he, he gets a lot of emotion and a lot of kind of mischievousness. And this, I guess I, I don't like a lot of Harley Quinn stories because they seem almost too wink at the camera, sort of Deadpool style. I don't think she's a great role model for um, the people that that they're writing her for. And this one is a great role model. It um, this, this character is a super relatable young person dealing with grown-up things at a time that young people start dealing with grown-up things. So just the... If you could take Harley Quinn's name off of this and sell it as a Marika Tamaki book, I think that you would you would probably have just as much luck as we will selling it as a Harley Quinn comic. It is incredibly gorgeous. Yeah, like it's it beautiful. I've never seen a comic book art like look this way. And also just hearing you say 
it's filled with good role models. And I hate stories with good role models. You yeah, guys know but, that. But I, I do love it. But like also like that being a like that is a really strong selling point. And yeah. and that that really horrible juxtaposition of like just you and describing that was as the most appealing you've made it sound to me yet, which is that Harley Quinn Quinn is a character who is a really terrible role model, I think, for a lot of the people that are writing these comic books for. Yeah. So to get a book that is actually has, and I think that's one of the barriers that I have with that character is mm-hmm. not, like a lack of respect or likability with him, and, and to have that injected into it is way more appealing sounding to me. It's it's yeah, it's a kind of a rambunctious, um, a good kid making dumb kid decisions often, but surrounded by good people. It's I don't know. I I I wish I could just make everybody read it because it. <laughs> Seriously, I like I have I've read I've probably read five comics that I've said are my favorite comic this year. And this is this is right there with those and maybe at the top of the pile. Yeah, I've mentioned that several times today, but I I actually mean it when I keep telling people that you've said that because you I mean, like the quote that you said is if this doesn't come out, if they don't change this at all from the reader copy, uh, it will be your favorite book that came out that year. And, you know, there's this there's Batman all the way down. Yep. And I think those are the two books that you've said are your favorite books of the year. My favorite thing is Monsters. Oh, that might be last year's book, but I, I read it this year. And holy shit, that's a good comic too. Um, and and honestly, it's kind of a similar um, a similar setting or a similar genre of like teenage kid coming of age. So like I would I, – I, I don't want to put this in with like um, – uh, to Kill a Mockingbird and Neon Bible and um, uh, Catcher in the Rye because these are a little more fantastical than those stories, but it's kids kind of becoming adults through their experiences. So they're not like they're not being thrown into something super crazy and hairy and dramatic. They're just learning how to deal with stuff through these kind of weird things that happen in the background of your life when you're a certain age and you take it in and you, you translate it and try to learn how to live with the fact that, you know, this shitty thing happened to this person that you like. And, um, every person that has since read this, since you've talked about it, has come back saying that it's amazing. So, um, I'm excited to read it in the next week or two. I think that's all we've got for today. Jango, do you got any house cleaning for us? Well, we're doing the podcast live at the Shakedown on October 3rd. <laughs> that, did that sound... Like gen- a radio. Gen- yeah. <laughs> and like you were cleaning the house. Call too. me Ron Warner. Oh, God, I love that guy. Uh, listen, we're doing that live. Uh, we'll have tickets, like real physical tickets at the store pretty soon. It's going to benefit you to try and grab tickets beforehand because we are going to be giving away comics. Yep. Uh, gifts, surprises. Stuff. It'll... It's... Uh, we want to make it a lot of fun, so we really want you to come and bring a friend. Tell somebody uh, that you love this comic shop and you love coming to listen to us talk, or just it's not even about us. It's, it's really we're just excited to create a spot where a bunch of people who love comics and love talking about comics will all be together, like a little comic convention without any you know booths of people selling stuff. It's mostly just built around getting to hang out in a place with a bunch of people who like the same thing you do. So we really want you all to come, and we're really grateful that uh, everyone listens to this show and uh, is, seems to be interested in it. So thanks a ton. And also we'll, we plan to have a segment 
that will be uh, entertaining and informative, even if you have never read a comic. Yes. So I'm not talking to you because you you made it to the end of this podcast. You've probably read a comic, but um, we've we've been bouncing around some ideas uh, of a way to approach a discussion for people who've never picked up a comic book before or who've been intimidated by them because, you know, as much as we take this for granted, it can be kind of a hard thing to just jump into and even know how do you read this crazy thing. And there's going to be a period of time where we just want people to ask Roman questions. Um, <laughs> you got questions about Marvel continuity, DC continuity. You got questions about a weird thing, what doesn't make sense to you. We want to give you the uh, the opportunity to ask a Roman. Plus, oh, we'll have uh, Stardate Supplemental, yeah. our, our... Star Trek experts. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. our sister podcast? No, that's Brother podcast. Content, but yeah. Um, Brother and sister in space, Bellingham. Space sister contact. Space sister. Cough. Listen, Baff, uh, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta read a bunch of comics still this week, and I'm really excited for next week's books to come in, and uh, I'm really glad that you guys read more books than I did this week, because uh, you're carrying the water for me, so thanks a ton. Roman's looking at the page in that Marvel 1000 that is Stanley. Lee. Uh, it, it's, after, it's after Moby is. Holy shit. The Silver Surfer <laughs> Parable Story. Uh, oh, it says after Lord. Mobius on it. It's awesome. Oh, you is can that, call is us at 1-619-663-7336. We would love to hear from you. We had so much time fun with the voicemail uh, podcast. Please send us some questions. Send us some comments. Send us what you want to know. And if um, you don't call us, I've seen him do it twice this week. Jeff will ask me for my phone and ambush you and make you do an interview <laughs> In the labyrinth in the back of the store. That happened twice this week. It's on the X-Men podcast that I put up yesterday of Justin and I. You should listen to it. Listen to your friend listeners uh, who are now on the podcast. I'm Jeff, and I just uh, I had a blast tonight, even though I sound subdued. I really like kind of ribbon Roman. I, yeah. You do. Yeah. I, I'm good. I'm good for... Ah, <laughs> ah you ruined my shot. <laughs> good for what? what? I don't know. I don't know what was I saying. I, I, I was physically assaulted there, so I don't know what I was saying. I judged him. <laughs> uh, I love this page. I'm Django, and I gotta say, it is—it's kind of a weight off my shoulders to not be doing episode 144 because I—I feel like I was in a gross box for like a whole evening there, and yeah, you, uh, you... I. I really don't like just being the being the farty burpy barfy guy. Like there's that's not true. You love I just it. I, I wish that I could, you know, expand, expand my like role in bubble. this thing. I want it. I want to be a pimple. I want to be earwax. You could I be wanna, the editor. You could edit it. No, it would just be a fart noise. It'd be a, an hour and 30 minute Do you fart have an noise. Extra three hours a week to toss aside. Sure don't. <laughs> we love sure you all. Don't. Thanks so much. Hey, Roman. I love you so much. Thanks for being here. You're so goddamn wonderful. I love you guys. Man, this store would not be even a fraction of what it is if Roman hadn't worked here forever. A mat fraction? Like, I wouldn't be (laughs) here. Django wouldn't be here. Amazing. Love you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.